0: This is Episode 33, Painting Your Dreams. Welcome to the Language of Creativity podcast. I'm here with Della Burford, who was a guest on my Spaceship Earth Mission Log podcast. And there was just so much more to share that I wanted to have you back. And we're here to talk about painting your dreams, which is something you've been doing for over 40 years, which is incredible. You're a prolific artist. Your book, Earth Action, was brought about from your first book, Magical Earth Secrets, which was made into several plays. You have a book called Welcome to Dodoland, which became mm. one of Canada's earliest successful websites with 22 million views, and also a series of children's plays and interactive spaces. You're a prolific artist, and you have been for a really long time. It's my honor to have you on The Language of Creativity. Welcome, Della.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor for me to be invited.
0: So I wanted to open by sharing this poem that you wrote in your book, Beginnings 1968-74, Finding Freedom in Your Dreams. You say, Beginnings come in unusual ways. Adversity brings strength and new opportunity for fulfilling. Your vision for the world You see your dreams and the cosmic one is speaking to you from a hidden hand. You know you are to travel the world and being in motion brings magic. Synchronicity is speaking to you and is welcomed with open arms. And your open heart speaks of a All is one. Life.
1: Beautiful. Actually, it's nice to hear someone else read it. (laughs) That poem sort of sums up that period of my life, which I called initiation.
0: Tell me more. Like, when did you start painting your dream wheels Because I know that that was a part of this process. You've labeled different periods of your life that you've kept track of over long periods of time. Like this one was initiation.
1: Yeah, the initiation sort of began everything. And I think when I started to do my dream wheels, which my dream wheels are a record of the year of dreams, and anyone can do it. I put my dreams on the outer ring of the wheel. I write them usually in just a line or two, and then I put a little picture. And in the middle, I think of everyday events that are connected to my dreams. And that becomes my dream wheel of the year. And I came up with this idea of doing the dream wheels so long ago, 1976. And I said, I'm going to do many years of these. I didn't know it was going to be 40, but but (laughs) I said, not until after 30 am I going to share it with anybody in the world. Wow. And in fact, I did that. I didn't tell anyone about my dream wheels. And also, I was so involved in manifesting the dreams that I didn't have time to talk about it. <laughs> and then finally, I did. I decided, no, I'm going to share this idea. And uh, I created the book, which is actually called Dream Wheels. And it goes into telling the different periods of time in my life. And I sort of, the initiation one is the first one, that's where it all began. And I think in thinking about that, I can think of a couple of different incidences that happened. And one of them is I had cancer at a very young age when mm. I was 20 years old. And I think that I was felt feeling very isolated because at that time people didn't talk about having cancer. When you oh. had cancer, you just sort of didn't, you know, you didn't talk about it. It wasn't. Anyways, I was feeling very isolated and I think In fact, it sort of reminded me recently when I saw people feeling very isolated with COVID because, Mm -hmm. you you know, you didn't have your friends. It was really a difficult time for me. But there were a couple of incidences that happened. I'm only going to go into this one. But what happened for me is that I all of a sudden remembered my dreams. And Mm. I not only remembered my dreams... I was able to go to very, very pleasant places in my dreams. (laughs) So there was new adventures there, and uh, doors opened up. And all of a sudden, uh, for the first time in my life, actually, I was seeing colorful dreams. And so that was the bonus that came out of it all. And so that is part of what I call initiation. There are other incidents, too, that happened, but they were all very isolating. And I think that when that happens for anyone, you all of a sudden new resources come up, new resources mm-hmm. develop. And yeah. and that's what happened for me.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that feeling of isolation being what drew you to the dream work where it right. it was what sort of gave you freedom in this time of restriction, which was the cancer. Right. Right.
1: Exactly. Wow.
0: So I'm going to ask you about what you mean when you say you did a lot of work in a 20-year period on manifesting your dreams. You were busy doing that. What does that mean?
1: You know, um, again, I talk about manifesting my dreams, but I think anyone can do this. So I like to encourage other people to manifest their dreams. Manifesting the dream is something that like for instance, if you have a dream with a green color in it, you wear green the next day, right?
0: Or Mm. if
1: you see a certain person in the dream, you phone them the next day. So in (laughs) fact you you're like manifesting it. You're you're seeing it in your dreams, but in fact it becomes something that is part of this physical reality. I decided at an early stage that I was gonna write down my Favorite, favorite creative dreams, which I did on my dream wheels. And not only that, but I was going to try to either write about them, do art about them. And in many cases, I had people working with me that were doing theater around them, making music around them. So Hmm. as soon as that happens, then it's manifested, right? Like it becomes part of this reality and it feels really good and actually it is it's an incredible way of honoring the dream. There's a wow. wonderful dream teacher, Robert Moss, that I ended up working with after I had written the book of Dream Wheels. So it was a later stage for me, but he often says you should honor your dreams too. He he was another person that encourages people to do that. And so in his classes, for example, people would always be encouraged to do art of their dreams and Music of their dreams and other things too. So it's because when you do that, you will have better dreams. Mm. Like you'll have more dreams. Because in your dreams, you have a dream producer. I call it the dream producer, right? Maybe <laughs> it's you, but it's a dream producer. And the dream producer is happy when he sees that it's becoming something, right? So he gets more dreams and he get more dreams. <laughs> and that seems to be the case. So
0: I'm looking at one of your dream wheels and how it works or how it looks is you've got sort of a little circle in the middle with then words going all the way around that kind of in a clock-like circle just written out and imagine Mm -hmm. one sentence just being like a, a minute on the line and then the next wheel out is your paintings. You have various figures from your dreams. I see this one you have a bird with the sun behind it. You have (laughs) a dolphin and a rose. Um, You have many different, like, people on it and colors. There's a lot of, like, blue in the background. And then the wheel just beyond that is more sentences that are written out, like 365 of them. Uh And so you said that you can put a month of dreams on one wheel or you can do a whole year of dreams. Yes. And that it has three rings. The center ring is for everyday important events Mm -hmm. uh, following the four seasons. The Mm -hmm. outer rings are the dreams that are inspirational and also wise dreams. So I guess anything that would stand out as a, wow, this seemed like an important dream, you would write it on the outside with a title for each dream. And the middle ring is small drawings that symbolize the dream, like a title reminds you of the dream and is a portal to return to the dream right which is a really cool idea i so my dreams haven't been so much like things that i would want to manifest my dreams are always seemed fairly random. Last night, I, it took some doing. I finally remembered the dream, the part of the dream that I had last night when I was lighting a candle before the session. And I suddenly remembered I had this dream that I was at my mom's mountain cabin and I had a bunch of music equipment that was tubes that had been left on for like a month. And all those tubes had like melted all the equipment oh. down to the molten metal. And it was starting a fire like upstairs in the kitchen. Ca- <laughs> and I had to figure out how to put it out. And of course, I caught on fire while I was trying to like get to the fire extinguisher. And it's not necessarily a dream I'd want to manifest, but, uh, oh. you know, I think I I am so curious to talk about dreams because I think for some people, dreams are really magical. And for other people's dreams are just something you're trying to make sense of. Like what what is happening?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, everybody's dreams are unique. No two person has the same symbols in their dreams, like the symbol of the fire might mean one thing to me and another thing for you, or a symbol of a certain power animal. So they're all unique and all different. I know the beautiful thing that the dream teacher Robert Moss does is he says, how did the dream make you feel? That's the first question. How did it make you feel? And mm-hmm. when you say that, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I felt sad, or I felt angry, or I felt good, or... Anyways, and then you sort of think about, is there some reality that I can connect to it, something that's happening in reality that I can actually connect to that? And when you think about that, sometimes it's called a reality hit, kind of... You could think of maybe a television program you were watching, or maybe a conversation you had with someone that might have brought this on, and then... The other important thing is if a person is commenting on a dream, which I would maybe comment on your dream, for example, I wouldn't say I believe it is this or I believe it is that. I would say if it were my dream, I would say that the fire would indicate that I really got very involved in my musical stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But then it leaves it open because it really is you that decides about this and about the dreams. And that means something different to you. And the fourth thing that he gets into, and I think as I just have discussed, is trying to honor the dream and in some way honor it. Like, I think it's beautiful to think of a fire and you actually becoming part of your equipment or whatever. Mm. <laughs> it's
0: mean,
1: so incredible, you know. I think I mean, of the
0: that, talking head song, burning down the house. <laughs>
2: yeah, right.
1: <laughs> like, that's <kind> of,
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, yeah. it, it, it also... If it were my dream, I would also denote passion for what I
0: was doing. Yeah, um, yeah. And I tend to get alarmed and think like, uh-oh, I better check all sources of open flame and make sure I'm not <laughs> intentionally burning anything down. I've had to learn to kind of not do that with my dreams, you know. it's a, Maybe right. I'm not as in advance of a dream practitioner yet, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, The beautiful thing was originally like this morning I woke up at a really early hour, which I normally don't do. It was like four in the morning and I woke up and I knew we were doing this episode. So I like the first thing I did was grab something to write down my dreams. And so this dream about the fire, I didn't remember that till I had gotten to the studio and I had lit a candle. But what I did, the beautiful beautiful part of the dream, which I would call more a little bit like the messages that you tend to depict in your dreams, was there were several people that I was with and there was this bird and the little bird wrote melodies. And so the bird was writing melodies that were like different songs for people's birthday. And it was really beautiful. And I remember I couldn't quite write down the logic in the dream, but I remember having this really clear thought of like, well, all we would have to do to prove in a court of law that birds have the right of nature is to take this example of this bird writing the music and how intelligent it is, and we could basically set a legal precedence for the rights of nature. Um,
2: right, right. <laughs> and that beautiful. was this
0: thought I had in this dream, and so it's I wrote beautiful. that down. Excellent. When I, yeah, and, yeah, and that excellent. I think is a little bit more along the lines of what you're talking about, is like yeah. how, how does this melody and the music and it could connect to the eco-activism work. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think without knowing it, I think the bird was an incredible symbol because the bird is tremendously significant to me. And mm. the way of traveling in my first book of Dodo Land is with a bird hat. Mm. And the bird hat is the hat that came to me, actually, during a time of trauma I was doing drawings and I was seeing myself running to hills to get away and etc. And what came out of it that was very, very positive was the drawing of the bird hat with the necks of the birds intertwined in kind of a catechus. And it was like all of a sudden this hat had this freedom that I so much wanted at that time. And so when I was creating the story of Dodoland, for example... In thinking of manifesting something, when I was creating the Dodoland story, I put the hat on the little girl's head that goes through the story. And that's mm. her way of traveling. And it represents imagination and it represents dreams, following your dreams and, and so on. And so the hat of traveling that went throughout the story and was the way of traveling to all these incredible places. I shared with the world, and it became a hat that every child could make. And when we did the performance in New York, for example, 100,000 children made this thing hat. And the hat is, in the back of the original book, there's a bird hat that the kids could color and wear, and then they could travel in their dreams. Mm. So the bird, and the secret to go to Dotaland is to listen to the birds sing.
0: Mm, that's so magical. Yeah, Yeah. I knew that it was just important, like, I was like, okay, it's four in the morning, I got to write this down, because we're doing a (laughs) dream episode.
1: (laughs) Well, it is important, because it is the secret to traveling. When I was in India, when I first started writing the story of Dodoland, one of the places I was actually traveling to was India, and we were on a houseboat in Kashmir, and I got this incredible time of visions, and one of them was the secret to go to the land of Dodaland, which is to listen to the birds sing, because the birds have got certain messages for you, and the secret to go home from Dodaland, which is to say to yourself, as a caterpillar changes to the butterfly, I will fly and I will fly.
0: Mm. And
1: so those two things came to me. In dreams, and also when I was traveling in India, and I put them in the story of Dodonat. And they have been performed, we've had many performances of performers going through the metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a butterfly and things like that, dances and so
0: on. Tell me the story of Dodo Land. For those who are unfamiliar with it, I know you've made it into several stage productions as well as the book. Give me the shorts and like. Yeah, kind of run I'll tell you a little happened. bit about it.
1: Well, actually, like what happens this, in the story? I'll tell you. The story of Dodo Land is actually. I'm just going to hold this up because it'll remind me too. <laughs> the story of Dodo Land. You go to this magical place that you have to go to when you're going past the moon, and you continue over the sea of yourself and when you go over the sea of yourself you see someone there called Neptune the king of the sea and the king of the sea puts you in a crystal cup and the crystal cup goes faster than the speed of light so you are really traveling to this place that is beyond beyond and when the cup stops there's this incredible magical creature called elemental dodo and he's the guide to the land and he tells the story about how, at one time he was on the Earth, and he was very sad because he was being laughed at, of course it was the Dodo bird. Mm. And he decided he must go to this other land and become what he wanted to be. Mm. And so he became his dream. He became his dream animal. And so that's the story about the beginning of Toto Land. So anybody that goes to the land can become what they want to be. It's their Mm. place to become their dream. The actual story of Dodo Land has, of course, the elemental Dodo in it. (laughs) He's part camel, part fish, part dragon, part many things, He's many, many things, because he's become what he wanted to be. And (laughs) before you enter the land, you have to meet a unicorn who gives you a heart. Because everybody that enters the land must receive a heart. And that's mm-hmm. one of the requirements is to get your heart. And once uh-huh. the heart is received, then everyone can become their best self. They become mm-hmm. the best. And there's so many animals and when I've worked with children and adults on this developing the Dodo land idea. This is p- the ship. It's called Dragon Ship where you mm. can become whatever you want to be. And all those animals have become their dream.
0: Hold that up again. I want to describe <laughs> what I'm seeing for those who are on the audio podcast. <laughs> right. So what I see is this green, <laughs> green dragon that's got a giant, kind of a Chinese dragon style, but giant mm. smiling face. And it's kind of in a like an umbrella-shaped arc. Upside down, and it's so it's yeah. a boat. And so, in the middle of that, you've got the butterfly at the top with the purple and the iridescent colors. You have a captain that's sort of got a, oh, yeah. a wispy ghost tail at the top with the captain's hat that's red. And you've got the dolphins and you've got all these different characters. There's kind of like a juggler or a clown kind of on the tail. There's a bird in the middle. There's pink and purple and red hearts, <laughs> yeah, in the lots middle. of things going and, on. Then there's a creature in front of the dragon that is winged that has a heart that's holding a heart and has swan-like legs and is flying in front of the dragon so uh, the whole cavalcade is flying and uh, it's just magical imagery it makes yeah, me think know, about that's yeah, funny. yeah yeah it thank makes you me for think about description It makes me think about your work with children uh, it seems that children respond very well to your paintings and your work and your stories. Tell me a little bit about... Yes,
1: children and the inner child of people. Um, Yeah. You know, it appeals to adults as much as children, interestingly enough, but both really find it appealing because it's fun. You know, becoming what you want to be. I mean, what could be more fun? (laughs) (laughs) So we're just developing right now a Dodoland shop on our Dodoland website. And one of the things that we've got in the shop is a dragon ship on the T-shirt, which says, become what you want to be. Be what you Mm. want to be. And there's the bird hats on the various apparel designs that have got the bird hat down the arm and the bird hat in the front and the bird hat. So all these things, it's going to be interesting to see that people can actually wear the dragon ship, wear the bird hat and what they represent and sort of think about what they represent in their lives. But it it has appealed to both children and adults. And I've got to tell you an interesting little story. When mm-hmm. I was developing um, first Dodo Land, I had a studio in Toronto on a street called Markham Street. And the street was owned by, more or less the whole street, by a man called Ed Mervish, an amazing, amazing, beautiful man that was very famous in Toronto. but he decided that he was going to make a street and give the spaces on the street to artists so they could paint. Oh, wow. And mm. I paid for my studio on that street, $35 a month to have a studio. And that's where I painted the beginning of my Dodaland story. Wow. Um, it was an incredible thing, the gift that he gave. And mm. it's just a cool thing. But I said to my friends at that time, well, I'm going to be doing this painting of this dragon ship what would you like to be if you could be whatever you want to be so every one of those characters that you described in your description is actually a person
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow
1: every one of them is a person and some of them are now our lawyers and some of them are artists some of them are dancers but they all <laughs> became what they wanted to be and i drew them and then we had a party and we all dressed up And wow became that's our so neat. And we even today still meet each other sometimes and dress up in costumes.
0: <laughs> oh wow. That is super cool.
1: Yeah, that's really I was neat. a
0: I'm glad you mentioned Markham Street because I was gonna ask you about how you started painting and when you started painting.
1: Right. Yeah I started and what painting. medium you paint. I painted very young with my mother, she was a painter, professional painter. And mm-hmm. I painted I was sort of water based. I was more I found much more appealing. And so she was working water-based acrylics and she wasn't working watercolour so much. I loved watercolour and I I still do and use it as well. Mm. I did learn a little bit about oils, though I don't use them too much, but I have used them in some of my theme paintings for my Dream Wheels book. I had a dream about an artist in Europe called Ernest Fuchs. I don't know whether you've heard of him. He worked with a lot of young artists on the Miesch Technique. And mm. and I went to Austria to study with one of his major students, Philip Rubadoff Jacobson, and learned wow. the Miesch Technique, which is actually a Renaissance Technique. So the theme paintings for most of the ones that were done for for the Dream Wheels book are actually done in the Miesch Technique. Um, mm. I just decided I should learn it because I had this dream that I was to do one of the techniques that he taught. Hmm. And so that was, anyways, something that I did in my whole adventure of learning painting. And, uh,
0: That's incredible. Yeah. So your mom painted professionally?
1: Yes. She was a painter. Yeah, she painted professionally. One of her uh, teachers was Shad Bolt, who's a very famous artist. And she studied with various people, but she was a very creative painter, and she painted not so realistic, more abstract,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And but she encouraged me to be creative. And she yeah. said that it was the most important thing for me to do, was to be creative. Mm. <laughs>
0: How well, fortunate so. you are, not just to yeah. have an example of someone who was successful as an artist, but also someone who encouraged you to be yes. creative and follow your own artist, artistic inclinations. I think a lot of people yes. wonder how to make a living at being yeah. an artist. And so is there anything you can share with people about your own success as an artist?
1: Well, nowadays, of course, it's a whole new story because this a digital art, but I think that I often work with people who ask me questions about, because I have so many books that have been published, say, well, how can I get a book published? I want to be able to, they want to make a lot of money on making books. Well, the main goal for me was never that. I mean, Mm. it's nice if it happens. It's nice it did happen a couple of times, but to be creative was always the major goal. And -hmm. I think if a person just starts to draw or just starts to paint, Things can come out of it. You just don't know what will evolve out of it. I mean, to think of that, I was in my little studio on Markham Street and putting the paint on the paper and all of a sudden the elemental dodo appeared out of the paint. I didn't Mm. even think of it. It just came out of the paint. And now the elemental dodo has been shared with the world um, and continues to be shared with the world. I mean, it's an incredible thing. I think anyone, anyone can be creative. They can... Start doing whatever kind of painting they want to do or artwork or music or whatever art form. And it can come something amazing, but it's not the result that is the important thing. It's the creative process. Mm. Yeah.
0: It reminds me of something you said at the beginning, which was you honor your dreams by painting them. And right. so it's like you do the first thing, like you wear green, you see green in the dream, yeah. you wear green the next day. You, yeah. s- you hear, you see someone in a dream, you call them the next day. And yeah. I think that that's like kind of the essence of what you're talking about in a way. So you just did what was wanting to come out of you and not thinking too much about why, just right. because it's something you're, it's wanting to create through you. And yeah, uh, yeah, So what did the process of painting these dream wheels over such a long period of time give you? What came out of that? Like, What what did you experience over 40 years of painting your dreams?
1: You know, it's very interesting because my dream wheels, they're about, you know, they're large. They're like 20 inches by 30 inches. Wow. And I keep them all together in one portfolio, but. Anyways, if I pull out those dream wheels, which I usually try to do once a year and look at them, I'll get an idea. I think, oh my gosh, I could use that in this story or I could could paint that character. So what Mm -hmm. they've really given me, I think more than anything else, is almost a diary of of my dreams that I would have just forgotten.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, I think if dreams are kept in a book like that, they can really be forgotten. But when they're Mm. on a piece of art, you can look up and you say, Oh my God, that dream, I had that dream and I've just got to manifest that somehow. That character. And suddenly you see the
0: artwork that you drew and you're (laughs) back there. Like you said, it's a portal back to the dream. Oh, yeah. like the candle was like, suddenly I remember a part of the dream that I didn't write down at four in the morning. That's right. Yeah. And that
1: that can take you back. And that's a very important thing because. It's so easy to lose the dreams because they're very, you know, like a butterfly that fly away. But if Mm -hmm. you see just a little image, you go, "Oh my gosh!" And the whole section, a whole fragment of the dream will come back to you. So I've got that I can look at these dream wheels, and all of a sudden, fragments of the dreams, which were dreams from thirty or forty years ago, can come back to me. Wow! That I think has been one of the most beneficial things of all, and I think also it's very fascinating. When I look at them every year, I think, oh my gosh, I'm getting that dream today, and I had that dream 20 years ago, and I Mm -hmm. try to figure out, okay, now, (laughs) what's going on here? You know,
0: you can't help
1: but do that. But sometimes it's really fascinating to look at your own history of your life and how certain times, certain symbols are very important to you, but then they recur again sometimes later. Mm -hmm. And no, it's just totally amazing. Dreams are amazing. They're not just for creativity and, and manifesting, which I've done. They're guides for anyone in their life. I mm-hmm. mean, if a person really does remember their dreams, they're going to get guidance because mm-hmm. they will get guidance from the spirit guides and maybe from the power animals of their dreams. And mm-hmm. it's an incredible thing. The whole area of the dream world is so vast that I've spent a lifetime with it and I still haven't learned everything.
0: <laughs> mm. I tend to think of dreams as archetypal like for some people dreams being archetypes. So I had this recurring dream for a while that I don't have anymore, but it was years years apart I would have this dream of surviving a plane crash. And it was like, you know, the plane would go down and then I'd be the only one who somehow survives and then I'm in the middle of nowhere and I have to find my way. And I finally figured out that that was like a representation of my life and career, like feeling like what I was doing wasn't going to last. I think this is around the time I quit the driving team, where it was like work just got further and further apart. And so I tend to think it like sometimes various dreams. I know that would be kind of the the Jung interpretation of dreams. I know you studied with uh, someone who studied with Jung, where you look at the symbols in the dreams as archetypes and patterns in life that if you can decode the pattern of the dream, you can kind of see what it is that it might mean in your everyday life. So maybe this feeling of like not having control over the industry that I was in that was taking a dive and sort of needing to find, you know, a crash landing and find my way to something else. Yeah. Uh, perhaps That's that great. was the dream. Perhaps not. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know. So you also studied with Tenzin Wango Rinpoche, who does the dream yoga. And I would say that would be a whole nother way to look at dreams. And I'm curious to know about that, because you've done some really, really deep work into dreams. And I know a lot of people are mystified by dreams. And it's a very curious topic, and they don't know what to do with it. But I think that where you've gone with it is beautiful, learning how to use it as a fuel for your life and for your creativity. What did you learn studying those two different Forms of dream yoga and dream shamanism?
1: Yeah, you know, there's so much to learn and so many people that you can learn from. But I felt very fortunate to have two teachers that meant three teachers that meant a lot to me. One, the man that you mentioned that was a student of Carl Jung's, he was my personal teacher for many, many years. And I learned a tremendous amount from him, but that was more. As I mentioned to you, I remember at one other time we were talking that he taught me in my dreams, my actual dreams, to change colors, that I could do those things that that was possible to make me more lucid.
0: Say to um, yourself, this is a dream.
1: Right. This is and then this is a dream. Now that this is a dream is more the Buddhist Tibetan oh. Buddhist method.
0: Okay. And yeah.
1: that's Wang Ho Rib And it's beautiful because if you're in your real-life environment and you look at something and you look at it carefully and say, this is a dream. Like right now, I'm looking out my window of where I'm staying right now and there's these incredible tomato plants that are out there growing probably Mm -hmm. 30 or 40 tomatoes. And I'm looking at them and if I say, really concentrate on them and say, this is a dream. Tonight, I will have them in my dream. Oh,
2: And, the, wow. and
1: d- they will be ex- shown on a deeper level what they mean to me. Oh. Um, and so I love that whole thing. Hmm. And I sometimes hmm. will do that. I'll, I'll just go outside and I see something. I asked Wango Wimshay at one point. I said, can I do this when I see something so beautiful? Because that's what I concentrate on, happy things and beautiful things. And he said, yes, do that. So I do yeah. that.
0: <laughs> well, I can I imagine go. right now. I'm looking at a. I'm looking at the light, the softbox that I brought out because you'd like to use some of this video. And uh, as yeah. I look into it, it's this white box, and I realized that I could say to myself, "You know, this is a dream." And right. this is a
2: dream.
0: I could imagine this timeline jump where I am one day on a large stage with lights. In the same way, looking at the lights and realizing that, like, thinking back to this moment, connecting into this reality where I'm sitting here in my studio talking to you, where my podcast is just starting and it's Mm -hmm. growing. And, you know, if I sort of time jump through that light, I can see myself on that bigger stage, you know, doing a larger talk. Absolutely. Yeah. and, And I guess that's, you know, the magic of, I think, being creative. There's all these imagination leaps that we make and right. we're in the process of as creatives we imagine things and then we make them yeah. real you know yes. like a book like yes. dodo land you know you yes. painted it you imagined the story and then you yeah. made this book and now it's a play it's been done all over the world in multiple <laughs> languages and yeah. you know i think it's it's, it's the childlike t-shirts. nature yeah now it's going to be childlike natures, <laughs> the childlike nature of like not thinking that that's impossible, just knowing that you can and you will. And it's this this childlike thing of like, I want to do this, so I'm going to do this. And it's beautiful. Um, I want to ask about, so you were talking about in the Jung archetypes. So you said in that particular one, you could change the color of something in a dream.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. It's so incredible. The Jung archetypes, of course, I know I loved the book Man and His Symbols. Do you know that book, Man and His Symbols with All the Archetypes? I love that book. I looked at it for so long, and, and they're so incredible to think of all those archetypes that are, that are sort of archetypes that could be used in many people's dreams. But really, when you really come down to it, Jung says, every person's dream is unique. Mm. The symbol of the snake, for example, might mean one thing totally to me and use something totally different. And there are certain archetypes, but really it comes down to the individuality of each person. And I believe that too, and I've always professed that that it's so important to realize that you are so individual. I think that right now I'm doing some study with a man, Don Oscar Mira de Casada from Peru, and Mm -hmm. I've studied with him before, and he's got this amazing mythology going about the universal shamanism of things and how you can mm. create your life, you know, in a more meaningful way. And I love it because it's for today. I think a lot of people today are looking for that, you know, mm-hmm. a more meaningful way of doing things. Maybe tired of all the plastic, cosmetic, commercial stuff and want to do something mm-hmm. more meaningful. And he's yeah. got a beautiful program that he teaches that's part of that And I think that's beautiful too, because that's connected to the dream world in your dreams, like making your dreams part of, I mean, when I, for instance, the last class I had with him, I could shut my eyes and see these incredible visions after vision, after vision. And I know that that's possible because I can do it. And I think anyone can do it. Mm. It, It depends on the stage you're at, but then those visions, I will be writing those down and they will become part of paintings and they mm. will become part of stories. And I think when you deeply go into ceremony, like he does a lot of ceremony through ceremony, you can also see these visions, just like dreams in effect and sect, they're very close,
2: yeah, closely
1: related. And in fact, when you see the visions in the ceremony, then I can go to sleep and I can have the vision in the dream that takes me further. Wow. So they are connected. And I think daily rituals that people do, simple things, you know, like light a candle, for example, a beautiful ritual. That can then be transferred into your dream. And Mm. will be. Yeah. And what what does that really mean, lighting that candle? There's an intention there, right? Mm -hmm. And that intention becomes part of what you showed in the dream.
0: This is the language of creativity podcast So are dreams real?
1: Yeah, interesting. are they real? Well, is life real <laughs> is this is this life we're living a dream? <laughs> That's the question.
0: You know, are your boat right. merely 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 literally life is but a dream. You no know, where <laughs> yes. is it?
1: yeah, what is you know Yeah. The separation. I asked that,
0: you know, kind of winkingly (laughs) because that is also a bit of what I have come upon as well as the question of, is life itself a dream? And I know a lot of people ask that question. Um, Life has this strange habit of (laughs) seeming really real until certain things happen to you that are just so synchronistic and surreal that you go, man, I have to pinch myself. You know, this is really cool. And I think oh, it, I it, it speaks it, to, you know, our states of... <laughs> our consciousness in a sense, because you have a very evolved dream life. So your dream life is yeah. very, very beneficial. You know, I think yeah. I have a very, like attuned waking life in that way. So where I, I experience a lot of synchronicity and positivity, right. but it's interesting because in my dreams, it's like, it's more rare that I have, like normally my dream life is where I'm working out the, oh, like, you know, paying the bills and the careers, you know, the AI is taking over and action adventure, I got to survive. Like, I, I don't know, it's weird how that comes out in, in my dream life. So maybe I got some work to do, but I know a lot of people struggle in life from time to time. And I think that can sometimes be what drives people to art as well. And I feel like what you're saying is that it's really important, not just to literally dream, but to figuratively dream about like what you really want. What kind of life do you think is beautiful? What kind of things really excite you? Or like you said, who do you want to be?
1: Yeah. Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? It's good, And to, I don't think a lot
0: of people allow themselves to ask those things. You
1: no. Know, and, you know, a person should never feel badly about having dreams that are everyday dreams, like paying bills and stuff, because that's part of what happens. And there's certain <laughs> amount. I studied it one time with a man that was in a Mexican canadero, Sergio Magana. And he was fabulous in saying that, you know, there's a certain part of your life and your dreams that you're dealing with the everyday things. Mm-hmm. And you go through that, going to everyday things. And then there's another level where you can actually see intuitive things that are more mm-hmm. intuitive, that are important to you. And then there's another level where you can actually go in visitations and you yeah. can go and visit spiritual beings and you t- talk to people who have passed to the other world. And all these things. Yes. I mean, dreams have got many levels, but you, you have the many levels and it's okay. It's okay. You have to go through those. And in fact, they've studied the dream waves. And some of the dream waves, when they get into going into the higher levels of dream waves, like the theta and the alpha, you can go into the different dreams and meet spirit guides and so on when you get into those states. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: when you're studying, for instance, dream yoga or dream with a person that's experienced about Dreams like Sergio Magana, for instance, from, from Mexico, he will say, Well, you know, the pyramids they built in Mexico have got the different levels, right? It goes up to mm-hmm. seven levels. Every level was a different level of the dream world.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: when they study and when they were going into or a different medicine level, let's say, in their medicine, mm-hmm. but there are certain things in those levels that you were learning about dreams and learning about. Life that are almost different levels of a being, of you know, and yeah.
2: that
1: it's something that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. The Egyptians, the people from these ancient cultures, the Babylonians and the Welsh, Celtic my husband and I are very involved in the Celtic mythology, and we've been spending almost 40 years doing mm. a major project around that actually.
2: Mm, and, that's amazing. And
1: Yeah, so this has been around for a long time by many, many cultures. The dreams are vast. I mean, I keep saying vast because I am stunned that I could be spending 40 years studying dreams. Mm. And I can still, there's so many new things that I haven't even discovered yet. But I know that human beings have got the capacity to understand these things and use these things in their lives. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does it. But maybe mm. one day they will. Um, yeah. So people get upset, you know, oh, AI is going to take over. No, 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 no. These are statistics. The statistics are all put in a box, and the AI can come up with all these things. But they will never, never, never get to the point of being in the place that you can be when you're in your dreams. Mm. And mm. It'll, it'll never happen. It's just humans have got the capacity that is so incredible. And they just have to know that and believe that and be that.
0: I almost feel like humanity, that's in the plastic world, as you called it, has almost forgotten about those mystical dreamlike right. imaginative realms of being yeah. and we That's look right. at something like Midjourney or dolly where it makes these right. beautiful images like at command of a prompt and we just go okay right. where do i fit in as an artist i didn't say not necessarily a tangent i need to go down i think people will find your last statement reassuring i wanted to talk about how like i on rare occasions have had what i call the visitation dreams And an example of a visitation dream would be like my grandmother who passed away. Within a week of that happening, a family member had a dream of her visiting and she was no longer sick. She was in a beautiful light blue dress, which was her favorite color. And just this radiant spirit that came Mm -hmm. through. And so she shared that with my mom, I believe. And it like really helped the grieving process. And so it was like, even so much whether or not you wanted to believe that this was really a visitation, that's how it felt. That's the impact yeah. that it had. Yeah. And so every once in a while I've had, like you said, the guides. One time I had this little, like, short man. I was digging. A lot of my dreams, I'm, like, living in the dirt, like, you know, almost like a subterranean creature. And so <laughs> there was this little man wearing brown. And I don't remember anything he said, but I remember waking up from this dream. And it was like he explained to me all these things that I needed to know about life. And I woke up just feeling knowledgeable. Like I was like, you know, I had received something valuable and I couldn't tell you what he said. I mean, it was maybe like his mouth was moving and I was just, Mm. you know, receiving some other frequency. But, you know, that's one of those dreams where I woke up remembering it clearly. And I would say that was a visitation. Another one that I had that was a little bit more, I like to share with a lot of people in my music work is this dream. And I call it a visitation dream just because of how it felt. So Mm -hmm. I was in a recording studio and I was setting up a microphone and I was working with the artist from Iceland, Bjork. (laughs) And so Bjork is a, you know, I see that I'm setting up this microphone. I see Bjork right there and I say, could you please step in front of this microphone and just give me a little bit of your vocal dynamic range so I can get the levels. And as clear (laughs) as day, she looks at me straight in the eye and hold on, I have to mute the microphone because it was like this. It was like, you must capture my first wind. <laughs> and the dream ended. And that was it. Like this, you know, Bjork, who I, I picture as this like super uninhibited creative person, you just tell me basically record the scratch take because it, this magic's going to come through and you better be prepared to capture it. But, you know, that could have just been a really cool dream that I came up with. But the way it felt, <laughs> It just felt so authentic and real yeah. that whether yeah. or not that was Bjork herself, or whether it was just an archetype for me of someone that I was learning from, or an energy or whatever, yeah. it was so it was so real. Beautiful. <laughs> that I call that a visitation dream as well. Yeah,
1: beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, those are beautiful dreams, and once you don't forget when you get dreams yes, like that. Certainly, and you know. As far as Bjork coming there, she probably did.
0: Yeah. I mean I believe uh, so.
1: Once you develop a little bit further in your dreams, you can actually go and visit people.
0: I've had that happen. I've had people that I've dreamed about mention like a week later, Hey, like we've met (laughs) in a dream (laughs) state. You You know, so so people. Yeah. I believe I met my daughter before she was born. I remember right. flying around with this beautiful, like, spirit mm. that was little and baby-like. And, you know, it was just fun beautiful. and very much matches the energy of my daughter now. I don't know if that was my daughter or someone else, but it was, it was it's just wonderful. And there's so much that we don't know. Um, that's right. Or that some people know <laughs> that's just a little bit, you know, people go, you know, how do you know that? Which is wonderful. I think if we can open up to the possibility of our dreams, we can also open up to the possibility of what if life manifests itself based on our collective dream? So right. the idea of dreaming a better dream for humanity right, and deciding what we want to put our attention on, what kind of stories we want to tell mm-hmm. ourselves about our immediate future... That actually has the potential, just like the guy from Motorola who invented the cell phone was inspired by Star Trek from the 60s, the communicator that they would open up and say, hey, hey, Spock, you know, <laughs> like he literally made a cell he invented the cell phone because of that work of fiction. And so in a right. way, we do influence our reality as creatives. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think There's, it's really important yeah. to dream
0: a better dream.
1: Absolutely. You know, there are many people, when you really do research into it, that were scientists and artists that had a dream that totally changed their life or had made made possible an invention. It's really surprising how many inventions, when you really kind of look at it, have come about through dreams. Right yeah a lot of a lot when of different... supposedly
0: tesla was a visionary so whether or not he got mm-hmm. it in the dream state he was downloading these really incredible inventions about electricity oh, yeah. <laughs> in in that yeah. sort of like you said yeah. like meditative state or that yeah. you know shamanistic state like it's yeah. it's something that very few people connect to but i think some people just do innately and some people call it art some people do call it you know shamanism or meditation or those things, and some people practice it like you've studied with masters in the field of dreaming. Uh, right. But I think it's something that almost every creative can relate to on a certain level. Yeah.
1: You know, we come together to dream. I have a little poem in my book, my Dream Wheels book that says, we come together to dream. Do you want me to read it?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay. We come together to dream to find who you are, to find solutions, to find power animals, to find travel to new places, to find the imaginary, to find the cosmic one, to find the muse, to find visions, to find self-healing, to find the divine, to find angels and doorways, to find emotions and beauty, to find dream galleries and dream friends, and to express and honor our dreams for self growth, humanity, all living things, and the world.
0: Hmm. A big shout out to the Design Science Studio revolutionary artists who are committed to making a world that works for 100% of life. Much of the music you're enjoying in this episode was written and performed by Stroopy, and he originally wrote it for Della's video, Star Galaxy for the World. Thank you, Stroopy. Take a moment to join us on Substack, languageofcreativity.substack, and consider contribution if you like our show. Now back to my interview with Della Burford.
1: When I wrote that poem, I wanted to get together artists that were from all over the world. And wow. I was You're in... holding
0: up your artwork and it's stunning, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah. And well, that's my art. This is every bubble is a different artist in the world. Wow. And when I had that idea of we come together to dream. I was in Vienna when I was studying the Misch Technique in Vienna and I went to an art showing there and I decided I was going to ask the many artists that were there which were very talented artists if they ever painted from their dreams. And mm. so I collected together about 15 or 20 artists that had painted from their dreams and I put them together in the book with the painting that came from their dream and a little bit about it like this one that I'm showing you is the spirit horse that came from Andrew Gonzalez's dream and he has these incredible ivory looking mm. horses and cats and power animals <laughs> and he was very receptive in saying that some of these came from his dreams and mm. and so it went on I went to I met I was painting beside a woman called Cynthia Ray Robinson, and she's from the States, and she's one of the visionary artists, and she paints mermaids and wonderful things. But she said she went in a dream to a place where she was led by a leaping Dorado to her original home. The landscape was surrounded by water, and she was told it was the place of the golden dreams, and it's got the pyramids like in almost Takal or one of the ancient stations. So I was very excited at that time to find these people that were dreaming, were painting from their dreams. That's one of Mm -hmm. the paintings that shows two of the places I visited in my dream.
0: I'll link a few of these in the show notes so that people can look at them. They're incredible.
1: Yeah, we got all sorts of things, Dream to Find Visions, from a Roland Prue, credible artist from, uh, from Montreal. Jennifer, here's Jennifer's painting. But Oh, wow. Yeah. And she saw That's that.
0: That's a style of, it's kind of like that, who's the artist from Tool who draws a lot of those, where it's like the person's face, but there's all kinds of energy bursting forth from it. And It's almost right. like seeing someone's spirit right. in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: she did that. She looked in a mirror and this is what she saw, this mask with herself
0: wow.
1: and she said it was a soul reflection and she came to the realization it was herself but this is Irene Vincent another artist that paints from her dreams she said that in a dream she went to Tikal and when she came home she came sick but had a dream of a circle of shamans who came to help her oh in reality she went to Tikal and she came home sick and then she went to the dream and there were a circle of shamans there ready to help her oh, and wow. she looked and she found that they were Hucholi, and she painted this dream of, of meeting them. Anyways, so the dreams. That, oh, this is an amazing artist that uses dreams, Kuba Ambrose. And he, I don't know if you can see this, but he had a dream, and he saw this vision of Catherine Emmerich, and he had drawn a tower, and he realized it was the same tower from his dream that she had painted, this other painter mm. had painted. Wow. And so that was a really profound thing for him. But he So paints. they
0: painted the same thing, two different artists. They painted artists.
1: the same thing, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Great but things like that. So I kind of was very excited to meet other people that used dreams. So at that time, I would ask people and say, oh, yeah, maybe I painted one painting from my dreams. Now I think people are painting more from their dreams. (laughs) Mm. So it's become more popular now, but it was not. And this was 2012. So that was 12 years ago. Anyways, I did put that as part of the Dream Wheels book because I wanted to show other artists. I was told in a dream that I was to show other artists, that I was to include other artists. And when I have dreams like that, I usually try to do that. Like, for instance... I had a dream of that. And I, when I went to Bali, in which we were doing workshops called The Spirit of Writing and Art, and we included many artists who came and shared their painting techniques and shared their work. But when anyways, you
0: share the work from the other artists, you're showing me this book, and I know not everyone can see it, so we'll put that in the show notes. It's very powerful like as you're talking about the dreams and honoring them and you're showing the different artwork, it's almost like suddenly I, my exposure to these different paintings becomes greater because of the context of which I'm viewing them next to each other. So this would be a, an example of when sharing your art with other artists is a very powerful way to be felt and received yes. i thought that was like sure. you're just flipping through the book and it's just this powerful experience i'm having from artist <laughs> to artist to artist
1: yeah pretty amazing
0: because in yeah. a sense the energy from the dreams the information from the dreams even though i've never dreamt them i'm getting that through the painting as i see it like i'm receiving right. that um yeah
1: exactly magical energy as it's well That's yeah what's, what's really meant vision. by the vi- visionary art it's yeah. coming from the visions And so many people now, in 2012, it was maybe sort of popular. Now it's much more popular. And that's good. I mean, I'm really glad that more people are opening up to expressing that part of themselves, which is connected to the visionary, connected to the dreams, connected to subconscious and unconscious, more of those kinds of feelings of things. One person that's been in the forerunner of encouraging this is Amanda Sage.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know
1: whether you know her, Stephen, but she's this no. profound, profound artist that has actually, three years ago, she started something called the Vision Train. And
0: oh, yeah. I've yeah. encountered Vision I said, Train through the Design Science Studio sure. Topia events. Yeah,
1: I yeah. thought you would know her. Anyways, she's an amazing artist that had this vision that during COVID... Artists should still be painting, not Mm. only should they not still be painting, but they should be sharing their paintings with the world, and they should be developing their own creative selves, so she started this channel that you can actually go up on Zoom any time of the day, 24 hours in the day, and paint with other artists.
0: Oh, right. I think I encountered one of those. That was really cool. It's just yeah. you log in and you start to paint and everybody yeah. else in the Zoom is also painting together.
1: Yeah, that's right. No, but Amazing. this like been going for three years nonstop. Wow. Non-stop. It's the non-stop huh. vision train. <laughs>
0: that's incredible.
1: And Amanda Sage is one of the people that developed this along with Alicia's Sacred Heart, who's been on the train. I don't know how she does it. Like, mm. I don't know how they've done it. They, they're there for people. You know, it's pretty neat. They just had a show. I guess it was an online art show. But a hundred artists participated their work. And participated wow. and showed their work. I mean, this, this is something wonderful. I mean, this is the thing I'm totally into. Let's just be creative. Let's all be creative. Let's be creative together, you know? Yeah. And so. Anyway, I'm going to link
0: exciting. that in the show notes as well. I'll ask you for that <laughs> yeah. link later because I want people <laughs> to go join train. and absolutely. start to, to paint with them. That would yes, be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: I have a couple of activities in the book. One is making a dream wheel and the other is doing what I call the inner dream mandala. Mandala. Mm-hmm. So that's just something you would find interesting. Find your creative dream wheel, inner dream mandala.
0: So the Aborigines believed in the dream time as part of their cultural practice. And they're known as saying that the dream world is more real than the waking world. Mm. And so I wanted to ask you about death Mm -hmm. because there are other cultures where... Like in the Buddhist tradition, when you're studying the dream yoga, the better you are at dreaming, the more likely you are to make it through the bardos, which is this place that you go where things can be pretty scary and confusing and souls kind of get lost for a while. If you're, you know, in certain, certain sages will say that people create their own heaven, like whatever you believe (laughs) heaven to be, that's what you create. And of course, in other cultures, there are other imagery that features into, let's say, life and death. And, uh, you know, what is your perspective on the other side, on death?
1: Um, yeah, that's, that's a big question. And I guess a lot of people have thought about it and written about it. And, yeah, I know, I know the um, Tibetan yogi have got the book of the dead, right? The Tibetan book of the dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. which i remember reading when my mother died and it helped me somehow it helped mm-hmm. me to mm-hmm. feel more peace I think that they also are the ones that say that the more you reach your level of meditation and connection to being lucid at that time you will make maybe a better choice of
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> of things called. of
0: of what reality to project <laughs> Who your consciousness knows? I into it does <laughs> yeah know, but yeah.
1: You never do know, and I guess maybe you do at one point in your life, but I don't know. I think I think there are many different levels of reality, and of an inner exploration, and who knows? It's hard to say what is what and what you know. I I don't disbelieve any of that because mm-hmm. I think it's very possible, and the Aboriginal people—they are so beautiful. In Australia, the people there, the fact that their culture is thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundred thousand years old. And yeah. they have so much, so much to teach people. And and I know I've read about the way that they believe like a mountain talks to them. And, mm. you know, it, these things are real to them. And, and so it will be. Um, yeah. I mean... Robert Moss is quite influenced by the Aboriginal people because he originally was from Australia. And oh, okay. so and so he does include some of the teachings that he learned from them. And it's fascinating. Like we did a map, for instance, of showing our life's journey as a map that was kind of connected to some of the things that are taught by the Aboriginal people. But it's really vast, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, there's so much. I'm very open to all cultures and all all these different techniques. I'm really open to it. I don't think there's just one. And they do intercept at times. I can say, oh, that kind of reminds me of this, and this is from a different mm-hmm. country. But it has yeah. similarities. And in the dream world, you can meet anybody from any country. Yeah, You're not limited to meeting just the people you know. You can meet anybody in the world
0: historical figures even
1: historical figures from the past possibly from the future i've met some people that i know are you know from the past it's yeah it's just a vast thing
0: i have this dream that is again another one of those very special dreams that you remember that every time there's an outgoing president which for uh, for <laughs> in my lifetime has been every 8 years right. um in at least since i've been voting There is a dream where I will meet with the outgoing president and have a conversation, ask questions, you know, share each other's perspectives on things. And I find that oddly fascinating. (laughs) I'm like, okay, whatever this is, you know, it's happening with some (laughs) regularity, kind of like with your dream wheels, you know, I think if you keep track of things over time, you might see things like that emerge that maybe didn't stick out to you as major thumb points, but as you said, you write them as titles. The dreams get titles on the outside of the wheel and your inner, your waking life stuff is on the inner wheel. So you almost can see a correlation as you look from the inside to the outside. And And I think that would be a valuable practice for anyone. And it also, yeah.
1: Yes. When there is a correlation and you do see it between something that you did in the inner wheel, what I call the inner wheel, and in the real life. And then all of a sudden it pops up in your dream world because there is a correlation. Yeah, yeah. that's really neat.
0: When it also struck me when I was looking at these, I actually texted Stephen Bau, who's a mutual colleague of yours. He's how I know the Buckminster yeah. Fuller Institute and the design science studio. But uh, he's been working on a circular calendar which Mm -hmm. is the idea that I had had years before and might have brought as a mission to space camp, which was the idea of time being more like a waveform or a circle than like just boxes and tick marks. And so when I looked at your dream wheel, I realized... That's what it is. It's a circular calendar because Mm -hmm. it's going around the year and you have the seasons which correspond to the medicine wheel as well, which reminds me of the work of Scott Thrift on episode 15 we interviewed. He does an annual clock and it just Mm -hmm. changes color and you can't see it moving. And in a way, I mean, almost like these dream imagery is like, you couldn't see the evolution. You couldn't see the moving. You couldn't see the circles in the spiral until you go back and you remember and you revisit them on these dream wheels that you keep. Right. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And maybe
0: see a spiral of how your soul is evolving throughout yeah. your lifetime.
1: Yeah. The whole of uh, seasons is so important. I feel very lucky. I, both my husband and I, involved in studying with a shaman that worked with doing ceremony around the seasons, the solstice Mm -hmm. and the equinoxes. And he was the man actually that studied with Carl Jung. So he's also connected to that whole dream thing. Mm. But his ceremonies used to, I used to get these incredible dreams from the ceremonies. And I think it was also connected to the seasons, connected to the fact that it was solstice or it was equinox or that energy, that incredible energy that happens at these times and my mm-hmm. husband has been involved in a celtic project which we're just actually just about to go to wales to participate in part of that wow. but he has been studying the writings of an ancient druid and recording mm-hmm. sort of what he wrote and we've actually he arranged to have illuminations done of the work Hmm. And with ninety pages of illuminations were done of the work by a man called Leo de Pasquet. And the writings of this druid man was put in a book at the turn of the century. And we published the book, his book. Oh wow. And we're now taking the original manuscripts back to Wales. Then we're considering where to leave them for their permanent home. Wow. It may it may be the Welsh Museum where We're just debating Mm -hmm. at the moment. But anyways, so that also was connecting to the seasons because they were really, really influenced by the seasons. When you look at the old ancient Celtic culture, Kimmeric culture, and we were doing and visiting. I had cancer a second time in um, 2000. Let me see, 2000. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as part of my healing process, I wrote a story called Miracle Galaxy. Mm. And the Miracle Galaxy was visiting the seven angels of healing, the eight angels of healing. And those eight angels of healing, I actually put them in various sacred stone s- circles in the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, for instance, in Easter Island, in Stonehenge, in mm. Boksaquan, and Avebury, and all these places. And we went, actually went to those places. Wow, uh, to feel the energy of the stones, and also to just see what would come out of the, in terms of the dreams that would be able to be included in these paintings that I did
0: for mm-hmm. the
1: Miracle Galaxy. Miracle Galaxy wow. then became Star Galaxy, which is the Star Galaxy for the world,
2: hmm.
1: and Star Galaxy for the world evolved out of Miracle Galaxy because I realized. It was a story to also heal the world. Wow. It, it would be needed to heal the world, I was told in a dream. So I started to work on that three or four years ago and created the Storytellers. The angels became the Storytellers, which actually have got the different magical things that you learn to heal yourself and the earth. hmm and that sort of goes into what you talked about in the community dream. Yeah, there there is the dream for yourself to heal yourself, but there is a dream also to heal the world. Mm-hmm. And that is very much a part of this story of the star galaxy for the world. Hmm. That's the storyteller of gratitude. There's a storyteller of kindness, of intuition, of peace, of creativity, and all the qualities. That help to heal the world and create transformation. Mm. And now, actually, what we've done just recently, just been working on this the last six weeks. Actually, Star Galaxy for the world has been included now in dotaland Land online. Um, oh, cool! As, yeah, and so the story of Star Galaxy is there as well. And we've just been designing the garments, which are the Star Galaxy garments. Yeah. Um, so it's taking it out from yes, it's good to know yourself and your own unique self, but let's also include the vision for the world. Yeah. You know. And so it's so important. I think artists are
0: in a position to speak to what we want in the world. And right. certainly also to speak to what we don't want in the world. I know a lot of music is about that. It's about protest. Right. But also in painting, we can envision the world that we want more of in storytelling. Right. And that's right. a whole new field of storytelling. It's, right. it's hard to make a story without the traditional conflict cycle. We're all, you know, accustomed to the hero's journey and different things, but it's almost like it's time to dream a new dream. It's time to tell a new story. (laughs) Yeah. And I know your artwork speaks to that. Um, Yeah. Also, I know yeah. a lot of people getting back in touch with ancestry and what did the ancient peoples do, and right. what wisdom was lost, Absolutely. and what can we learn from them. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who's studying the Ogham stones. Ooh, uh, I right. don't know if I said that yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. since uh, you mentioned yeah. Celtic and the Druids, yeah. there's not a lot that was yeah. known about the Druids, yeah. and no. so you know. The, oh, look! It, Dale's
1: that. project is called Druidical Quest. Oh wow! And it's, it he has a Facebook page called Druidical Quest. And the book that is, he's actually got a book called Druidical Quest, but he also has a book called Stone Book of Knowledge. So that whole thing of the Druid journey is really something incredible. And we've been, as I said, very involved in this with Dale's book called Juridical Quest and the Stone Book of Knowledge, which are written by John Hugh Roberts. He has had them illuminated and various other things.
0: I want to ask you about Dale, your husband, because a big part of the creative journey is having others in our lives who are supportive of what we do, of who we are, of how we express who we want to be. And you have a wonderful supportive life partner. Tell me more about That's Dale. True. Tell me how long you've been together, and just tell me about <laughs> your life together. Like what is <laughs> what is it like for him being married to this very artistic painter dreamer?
1: Well. I don't know. You'd have to ask him that. (laughs) But yeah, it's been a wonderful thing. We're very lucky to have had each other. We discovered each other when we were teenagers. (laughs) Teenagers, imagine that. (laughs) That's lovely. And uh, so we've been together decades and decades and decades. (laughs)
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I can't even count the years, but I know it's at least 50. (laughs) Wow. And uh, we shared so much together. Dale's been my main support in terms of all my books. He's been there helping me in whatever way. You know, when we went to Guatemala to perform Land, he was stage manager. When we went to perform in New York at the various museums, which most of the museums were the biggest and best museums, he was photographer. You know, and when... Museums
0: and Swisher project.
1: Right. We performed at the Smithsonian Institute for a month. Wherever it was, Dale was always involved and has been my main support. Hmm. Huge, huge, huge thing. And when we created Dodoland online, which is still up there, people can go there. Which Uh, is
0: dodoland.com.
1: Dodoland.com, when we created that, which was actually in 1995. It was one of the first e-zines on the internet. Before there was color, before there was sound, it was like. (laughs) <laughs> one of the one of the original babies. But anyways, Dale and I took that over from Swiftsure, which was a British Columbia project, and it was used to launch it, to launch that project. And we took it over and we spent the last 25 years sharing it with teachers and homeschool people and children around the world. And uh, he's been working with me on that too. So wow. it, it kind of goes on and on. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's very incredible and so fortunate to have the support. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're just on a journey now. We've actually, we're going on a year travel. We've already done four months and we're going to be spending another seven months traveling to various places in the world that um, we'll be able to share stories in those places. And yeah, so that's what we're doing right now.
0: Did you ever have to get a job, like, in the middle of, you know, your earlier life, 20s, 30s, 40s, (laughs) just to support your art?
1: Uh, Yeah, probably at the early stages, I was, like, I searched, like, hamburgers at the local hamburger joint. (laughs) Uh And, uh, oh, yeah, I got some pretty funky jobs um, (laughs) until I—it's funny— I think everybody has those jobs, you know. When you're young and you're trying to just get by, and I worked from the mm-hmm. time I was actually 16 years old because my father told me that for every dollar I make, he would give me a dollar.
0: <laughs> oh, that's cool. So
1: that that was uh, motivated me.
0: <laughs> uh huh.
1: So I used to work at Hudson Bay Company selling clothes, and I I used to oh all sorts of jobs to get, make money so that I could travel. <laughs> And then when I finished high school, I traveled with a lot of other high school schoolmates to Europe. But that was partially because of my father's (laughs) incentive.
0: (laughs) So your mother encouraged you to be an artist and your dad said, get a job and I'll match every dollar that you make.
1: Right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess you had some balance there in the left-right brain (laughs) world. Yeah. Yeah, for
1: sure. It was two opposite. They were very opposite. Yeah, Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, they were opposites. So how did that work for you? Did that, I mean, it seemed like it was a good thing.
1: Yeah, it was a good thing. Well, everything about my mother, of course, I was in love with Mm -hmm. um, because it was very creative. My father, I had a little more difficult time, but he was very patient. He was an electrician. I mean, Mm -hmm. an electrical engineer, I should say. And he used to do drafting and he used to teach me how to do drafting. And it was very precise. Yeah. And so he taught more. It was not sort of the spontaneous, intuitive things. It was like the detail. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so everybody's got their good qualities, right? Yeah. And uh, so I happened to get a bit of that rubbed off on me too, actually. Because I taught interior design at college level for six years. And I think my training in interior design was creative, but it also was involved in the perspective and the drafting and the the placement of the objects. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, maybe it was a combination of my mother and my father's skills.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, I would love to tangent on interior design, but I think that would take us another (laughs) 45 minutes. (laughs) No,
1: no, this is a whole other deal. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there anything in particular, Della, that I haven't asked you that you still want to share?
1: Well, I should mention that in the Dream Wheels book, we went into the initiation, but I would just mention what the other cycles are in the book. Yeah. Because I think these are often cycles that are in other people's lives too. Like the initiation section, for instance, which you mentioned, I do a workshop and I work with people and I ask them specifically, do a transformational challenge map that shows Mm. the transformational challenges that you've had in your life. And when you do that, you see that there might be certain challenges, like even a crisis of consciousness or a physical challenge. And
0: crisis of consciousness being like you had cancer or someone has a near-death experience, that kind oh, of yeah, thing. Oh, yeah,
1: exactly. So those kinds of things, you make a map of them, and you realize that your life can be ups and downs when
0: mm-hmm. you start
1: doing the transformational map. It seems to be part of everybody's life. So there already, for me, when I work with people, becomes a story. It's a story that is part of everybody's life. And then when you have the transformational map and you realize what the symbols are, those symbols can be birthed and can be brought out. Hmm. And for instance, for me, the bird helmet and yeah. various other things like dragon ship, what was it, be what you want to be, that became a symbol of becoming your best dream or becoming your dream self. Then there's the birth, and I have a whole cycle in my dream wheels. It's called birth. And I have a collage of the pictures that are associated with that part of the cycle. And then there's, I ask people, what is your medicine? Like, everybody's got different power animals that are important to them. And if they really focus on it, those animals will come to them in their dreams. And those animals can be incredible teachers for them. And... When you do that and you start to visualize them, those, again, can come part of the creative toolbox, so to speak. And that's the medicine ways. And I have a whole cycle that I call medicine ways. And that cycle was created when I worked with medicine people, like the shaman who worked with Carl Jung and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a wonder cycle. If you have something really positive and imaginative in your dream. And to write it down, to draw it. Children mm. are really good at this, actually, and they usually have had some imaginary dream, and that can be part of the whole, what I call, an inner dream mandala. It's your dream mandala, your own personal dream mandala. And that wonder cycle is another cycle in the dream book. And then the healing cycle is when I was recovering from my cancer and I developed Miracle Galaxy. And I asked people, have you had someone offer a healing in a dream when you weren't well? Mm. And... Not only in a dream, but in real life. So people that right. have stood by you and helped you. Right. When a person identifies with that person and actually starts to write about it, they realize, oh my God, this person is, you know, they can then even create a hero or and around the characteristics of that person. So wow. these are all things that can develop into story and art. And then the divine part is the cycle, the last cycle that I've got in my Dream wheel work was just divine, and that divine cycle is this one, yeah, so Anyways. is that the
0: pa- the page on the right? Can you hold yes. that up? I'll describe it mm-hmm. so what I see is it's a image that has sort of a circle in the middle with a figure head in the very middle with there's a person at the bottom of the frame that's kind of like their eyes are looking at you, and so where they're Above their head, it would be there's this sort of dream world. And then around that, there's these other figures like angels that are surrounding and beaming lights are like at the viewer, at the looker of the painting. <laughs> That's yeah. what I see.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. With The divine cycle, I think, is something that people might feel at certain times in their life. In your dreams, you find the divine, a place where the human and the divine co-create. So you're creating as a human, but you're also co-creating with the divine energy, where eagles, white tigers, jaguars, elephants, and deers dance. You visit dream shamans, Blue Buddha, and the Druid Wizard, where there is validation of dream value. You continue to honor your dreams of prophecy and guidance. You help others to accept, manifest, and honor dream gifts. Reminded that dreams are wise and very precious. In her dreams, you can and do change the world essence. Mm. And that was the divine cycle, actually. (laughs) And is the divine cycle.
0: Incredible. The last thing I want to ask you about is your creative team. I noticed that you have various people who support you. with your website and yeah. with putting your videos out and things like that. Can you share who's been working with you over the last five to fifteen years and supporting or, you know, any time period you like, supporting the work that you do. Allowing oh, you to so get it people, out there? more there's so many people
1: of slightly overwhelming kind of slightly overwhelming sometimes to really think about all these people. I write down their names just to remember because I think it's so important to include. Everyone that has been part of your creative, I have this incredible piece of paper. I better not find it because I would go on too long. But I think when I go through the cycles, I think of different people. And I think one of the most creative people in the very beginning for me was a man called Vern Harper, who Mm. was one of the founders with Pauline Shirt. both her, him and, well, really Vern and Parley incredible inspiration because they taught so much about the balance and the the sacredness. And I was creating a magical or secret story at that time. I did a mural at the school with the children from the school. So Hmm. I can think of so many instances like that where I was working and people were like just really helping me to crystallize my ideas and my story. Like for instance, in New York, I have to think of Tedrian Chizek, who was our main producer of the show in New York, of Mm Land, And he Mm. performed this story for seven years in New York City. And all the performers there, Marianne Soto, the musician Julian Lieberman, I just could go on and on, so many people. They spent seven years performing that story, so there was a lot of people involved, many, many people. And then I've got to think also of, the people that I ended up publishing Magic vs. Secret, the Western Canada Wilderness Committee, totally beautiful environmental group from Vancouver that mm. could see the vision of that story about loving and protecting the earth. And they published it. And then, of course, it became a play in Japan. And there's Kazuko Saba and Ruru that produced it as a play in Japan for seven years. Again, wow. seven years and uh, Ruru is now doing a production of Miracle Galaxy Story in Japan. Wow! Um, and there's the last part of story that has been important, sort of for me, is the telling of the Star Galaxy for the world, which mm. Julian Ramirez did in the animation of mm. Star Galaxy for the world. You've seen that beautiful yes. with Stroopy's music, and my brother got all four, like
0: seven instruments and, on it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And yeah. that really tells about a story that was really co-created with the divine, actually. So mm. I was really excited about that. Right now, I'm excited about working with a woman from the Philippines. Aries is her name. And she's working with me on doing the Dota Land shop. And we're finally going to have garments and T-shirts and posters that will show the logos of Dodoland that are so important.
0: and oh, uh, People can
1: go there and get them at a very really, really reasonable price. but And even my books, I have Kindle versions, which mm. are very inexpensive, 3 $4 for a book, and you can get a Kindle version of almost all my books.
0: That's awesome. Amazon. So, <laughs> where can people find you online? What are some of your, not just social media, but your website, Dodoland.com?
1: Artist dot ca, which is actually a blog that tells about the process of How I create my stories and how I manifest them into art, Mm. and that goes into a lot of detail for anybody that wants to go into a lot of detail. That that's the place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are you on social media? I know you're on LinkedIn. What else? I'm on LinkedIn and
1: Instagram and Facebook, and I've got a Facebook artist page. Land has a page on Facebook. People can join that. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with it all.
0: It's amazing. You're prolific and I am so just wowed by how much you live your art and you put so much out into the world and you're thank doing you. it. You're a successful artist and dreamer. And thank you for sharing everything with y- with us the, today. You. If you want to catch other episodes of the podcast, you can go to thelanguageofcreativity.com and check out the other episodes, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other artists find their tribe and we hope to see you again. Also, we didn't mention the Design Science Studio and the Buckminster Fuller Institute where we know each other from, so BFI.org DesignScience.studio and check out in the show notes, we'll link to the Vision Train and all the wonderful books that you mentioned. Please support Della and her work by purchasing a book, a Kindle or a t-shirt a hoodie whatever it is that they are doing I'm just so so excited and it's just you're so vibrant it's so great to hear about the long and consistent journey of committing to the creative work and bringing your dreams into the world so thank you Della for being on the podcast
1: thank you it is long and consistent that it is (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for all the people that have helped me the list goes on I've probably got a hundred people or two hundred even that have helped me over the years, I think collaboration is the key to yeah, really, certainly. really becoming successful on a bigger level. Is to be able to share the work with, doing it with others. It's really, and I, I've got a yeah, lot of people. and check that. out Dream Wheels. And thank you, Stephen. I, by the way, thank you, Stephen. You're just a delight, and, and you have such a way of having not only an interest but this excitement about my work, and I so appreciate it
0: check out dream wheels her book about the dream wheels if you want to learn all about dream wheels and do your own dream wheels i think you'll yeah. find it inspirational as well um yeah. well thank you and we'll see everyone next time on the language Great. of creativity podcast. i might do a
1: class at some point on painting from dreams
0: oh that would be amazing i know i yes. was told
1: by robert moss many years ago probably 15 years ago i should do this I haven't done it yet but i'm considering doing that and that would be kind of fun
0: That would be amazing. We'll let everybody know when you announce that. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I was turned on to Substack through a colleague at BFI, and it has been an amazing way for me to connect with people in my community and also where you can pledge your support to the Language of Creativity podcast. If you find it valuable and you want to help us continue our work, please check out languageofcreativity.substack.com com. If you're new to Substack, everybody's going there. It's where the party is. And please like us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send a review, and that will help others find us as well. And share it with your friends. Thank you. Editing and production support was by Sam Levine. I'm Stephen Levitt, and this is the Language of Creativity podcast. <laughs>